Hi, you're listening to Once Upon a Podcast. My name is Chandler. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking about a beloved but also really awful children's book. Um, awful because it's so sad. Would you, would you use the word awful? I don't know if I would use the word awful. I mean, it's so good. I just say awful because it's so sad. <laughs> There's True. just so much. That's the part that makes it awful. It's a really good book, and it's definitely beautiful. Um, and it's it's wonderful and awful, I think. <laughs> the only reason I say awful is because it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is a lot. But I think that's part of why it has become part of our... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The canon... Yeah, kind of oh, it's of a children's book. Yeah, kind of an instant classic, I think. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And that book, of course, is Bridge to Terabithia by Catherine Patterson. And I have a, a personal co- connection to this story. Sarah, we've talked a little bit about our involvement in uh, homeschool speech and debate. And we've both done um, interpretive speeches based on different books, right? You talked about Phantom Tollbooth, and we did that one. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Bridge to Terabithia was one of my very first speeches. And um, so I did the speech for my high school youth group one night, did like a talent show kind of thing. So I did the speech and um, I don't know why I thought, I think what had happened is I'd already done like my funnier speech. So I picked the depressing one to do this time. (laughs) Um, So, but of course there are some humorous moments in Bridge to Terabithia, like when um, the two main characters, Jess and Leslie, meet. There's definitely some humor in their relationship, and I included those in my script. And I remember afterward, I was talking to this girl, and she was asking me just about how speech competitions worked, and I was telling her about the different categories. You know, there's the humorous interpretive and the dramatic, and she asked me if this would fit in the humorous category. <laughs> I was shocked. I was just like, ah. Uh, no, 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 this, this was dramatic. And she's like, really? Because it was funny. Oh, like, okay. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, there were, like, two funny lines. But no, no, this is not funny. So that was kind of sad. That is very sad. Oh yeah, yeah, just bizarre. And that's just always stuck with me is, like, who would think to do this as a speech where the category is humorous? Like, no, no. I get that you don't know how, you know, the complicated world of speech works, but no. <laughs> yeah, it seems slightly sacrilegious. New Year yeah. material. Yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, man. So, note to listeners, this is this is not a good book for humorous. Just, it is not. Just don't saying. do that. It's got some nice moments for sure, but it is not funny. Oh, my. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the history here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Read for your life. That was the slogan Catherine Patterson chose as her motto when she became the U.S. National Ambassador for Young People's Literature in 2010 and 2011. This, to her, means that to read, to read because it gives you life and because it is good for the life of your family. Catherine Wommeldorf, as she was called, was born in China to American missionary parents on October 31st, 1932. She lived in China for the first five years of her life, but her family returned to the United States in World War II due to the Japanese invasion. Catherine studied English literature at King College in Tennessee and graduated in 1954. After a year teaching elementary school, she went on to the Presbyterian School of Christian Education, where she received her master's in Bible and Christian Education. Catherine then became a missionary to Japan. 
In an interview, Catherine once said, on the way to becoming a missionary, I spent a year teaching in a rural school rural that's a very hard word to say a rural school in northern virginia where almost all my children were like jesse aarons i'll never forget that wonderful class a teacher i once met at a meeting in virginia told me that when she read bridge to terabithia to her class one of the girls told her that her mother had been in the lovettsville sixth grade i'm very happy that those children now grown up with children of their own know about the book i hope they can tell by reading it how much they meant to me in 1961, she returned to America and married a Presbyterian pastor named John Patterson. They had four children, two of whom were adopted, and now have seven grandchildren. Catherine said once, I wanted to write what I love to read, fiction. I didn't know that wanting to write fiction and being able to write fiction are two quite separate things. A friend from church felt bad that Catherine wanted to write but was having difficulty, so she took her to a weekly creative writing class. Catherine described her writing process saying, eventually a character will walk into my imagination and begin to take over my life. I'll spend the next couple of years getting to know them and telling their story. Then the joy of writing far outweighs the struggle, and I know beyond any doubt that I am the most fortunate person in the world to have been given such work to do. I really love this quote from Catherine about her life and career. People are always asking me questions I don't have the answers for. One is, when did you first know that you wanted to become a writer? The fact is that I never wanted to be a writer, at least not when I was a child or even a young woman. Today, I want very much to be a writer. But when I was 10, I wanted to be either a movie star or a missionary. When I was 20, I wanted to get married and have lots of children. <laughs> I love that she kind of did all of those things. She Maybe did. not movie star so much, but she did some acting, right? Mm -hmm, she did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, she actually wrote plays for, for some of her friends and they acted out together. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, she talked about herself being really shy, but she really wanted to be in the spotlight. So it was, she said it was kind of a back and forth. Yeah, I love that. So Bridge to Terabithia was published in 1977 and won the Newbery Medal the following year. The book famously tackles the subject of a child who dies suddenly and tragically. In an interview, Catherine stated that she was inspired by the death of her son David's best friend named Lisa Hill, who was killed by a lightning strike. Quote, it was trying to make sense out of that tragedy that inspired me to write the book, she said. She also said that writing the book helped her to face her own death, even though she wasn't aware of this at the time. Catherine noted that the characters in the book were based on people she knew, saying, quote, Jess and his father talk like the people I knew who lived in that area. I believe it is my responsibility to create characters who are real, not models of good behavior. If Jess and his dad are to be real, they must speak and act like real people. I have a lot of respect for my readers. I do not expect them to imitate my characters, simply to care about them and understand them. Bridge to Terabithia has had its share of controversy. From 1990 to 1999, the book was ranked number eight on the list of the 100 most frequently challenged books and remained on the list, though it moved down to number 28 in the following decade. There are numerous reasons for these challenges, including the obviously difficult subject matter with death as a central theme. In 2002, two residents of Connecticut filed a petition to remove the book from, a middle, from middle school classrooms in order to, quote, eliminate the study of materials containing information about witchcraft, magic, evil spells, or related material now and forever. They added, quote, we believe this material is satanic, a danger to our children, is being studied excessively, and has no place in our schools. I have so many disagreements with this statement. And yeah, there's lots of problems. Very upset. <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this down the road. And there, <laughs> I, I see where they're coming from. However, 
I have lots, of, lots and lots and lots of disagreements. Anyway, Catherine Patterson herself addressed some of these challenges when she said, initially, it was challenged because it deals with a boy who lives in rural Virginia, and he uses the word Lord a lot, and it's not in prayer. Then there are more complicated reasons. The children build an imaginary kingdom, and there was the feeling that I was promoting the religion of secular humanism and then New Age religion. That just cracks me up that somebody with her degree in Christian education, the wife of a Presbyterian pastor, a missionary kid and missionary herself, that there'd be so much controversy that she's promoting like satanic teachings and new ageism. Oh, I know. Well, and she had a a really, um, there was a, there's a Q and a on her website, which is fantastic. Um, you can get lots of really interesting information about her and it's where we well I mean we quoted some of it already and uh, one of the questions that was asked her was about her faith and and if she puts that in her books and her response was really beautiful she it's it's the perfect uh, not trying to beat someone over the head with religion she's not trying to be blatant she's like if it's going. That's who she is. It's part of who she is. So it's going to come through in her writing, but it's not there to be a sledgehammer to someone else. Yeah, I love that, and I think that's kind of where we get some really beautiful literature from Christian authors is when they're not trying to kind of shove a message in it, but just they're telling a good story, and you're going to see some of those values and themes reflected in their stories. Exactly. Yeah. It's there's this. It, I'm, it's slipping my mind now, but C.S. Lewis has a. We'll have to talk about this at some point down the road. Um, I'll bump this one for a bit. But uh, C.S. Lewis has a really great, I think it's Lewis, yeah, has a really good article about uh, stories and stories for children. I'm pretty sure it's him. I'll, I'll double check. I think you're right. Yeah. And he talks about the different kinds of children li- children's literature and different ways to write for children. And he gives he lists three of them and two of them he does not recommend. <laughs> so, and... And one of them has to do with one of those two has to do with uh, trying to force a message into a story. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, we'll have to come back to that. I, I'll pull. Yeah, that. absolutely. So this book is definitely not that way. There is not a forced message. <laughs> no, I agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the characters that are in this book. So kind of our main character that we first meet right at the beginning of the book is Jesse Aaron's and. You come to find out that his family is poor, very mm-hmm. poor. His dad drives a long way away for work each day, and um, he's got four sisters. He's the only boy, and he's kind of right in the in the middle of all of them, which is uh, being a middle child is a tough place to be, or so I've heard, and uh, not not particularly enjoyable. And then to be the only boy, that's rough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he, we see that a lot in um, tensions that he has with his dad, especially. And I think there's a lot of expectations for him to just kind of like, be this manly guy, but he's a kid. And he definitely is. I I don't know, I think he does kind of feel like that middle child, like you said. Yeah, that sort of neglected, not, you know, abused or anything, but definitely like more attention. He would love more attention. I, I definitely think kind of that, that lack of of fatherhood is felt in the book a little bit or that lack of um, connection with his father is definitely felt throughout the book. And, but it's not a, that's not a main issue that she's focusing on, which is really interesting. It's there, but it's not an issue that she's kind of focusing on. Um, But he, 
it's really interesting because he has a lot of um, fears and things that he's trying to overcome throughout the, the course of the story. He he doesn't see himself as a courageous person, which is really interesting. That's something he really struggles with throughout the entirety of the story, all the way up until the very end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of his character is that he is... Um, he's just kind of lonely and just by himself. And I think struggling to find courage as well as just kind of struggling to find, um, obviously friendship is something that becomes really important later in the book, but he just kind of needs to get outside of himself the whole time. And he has a really hard time doing that. Exactly. Exactly. And the person that helps him to do that is a new student. Yeah. Leslie Burke, who, uh, comes from out of town, and shows up at Jess's school with kind of a bang. Um, she's just this really unique character who's obviously very comfortable in her skin and um, has very outgoing with this really crazy imagination. And she's kind of tomboyish, but she's also very sweet and very friendly and really latches on to Jess and uh, becomes his friend. Yeah, she really draws him outside of himself, which is something, I, a theme that I think we're kind of starting to see through some of these other books that we've talked about so far is these these other characters that you can, being a solitary person, I mean, you have to have other people in your life, and that's, that's kind of the point. And uh, what kind of influences are you going to allow in your life? And um, when you find a good influence, how is that going to manifest itself? What are you going to do with that now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big thing that we see in Leslie and Jess's relationship is her just really drawing him out. Um, and we know that he's a creative kid who's interested in art, but she really that's something that she really wants to get him to do even more and encourage him is to just become this even more creative, outgoing person. And she does a really good job of getting him outside of himself. She does. She does. And also, so does his one of his teachers at school, which I think it's funny that it's the music teacher. I I hugely appreciate because, you know, music. But um, Miss, is it Julia Ed, Edmonds, Miss Edmonds, that everybody there. So we, it's really interesting to kind of think about the time period of this book. It's not something that I really thought about. You, you kind of forget. You get caught up in the story and you can envision it. But I think it's really easy to... Uh, even especially as a child and even as an adult to not think about the setting, like the true setting. This is a, uh, this Catherine Patterson was writing this in the seventies. Um, and so it's probably from around the late sixties and seventies is kind of your time period. It's, it's set in her, her current time and in rural Virginia. So we really have to remember that. And that kind of comes through in the character of Miss Edmonds. So we, we get a taste of, um, people thinking she's that she's a hippie and the types of music that they're singing. And so you really get a, a taste for that, the time period through her character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is funny because you're right. Like there are, there's a lot of things about her character that would seem strange today. Um, but I think she has always been such an interesting character to me because like Leslie, she sees that Jess does need to be pulled outside of himself. And she also tries to encourage him um, to, you know, be more creative, but to be less shy. And one of the ways she does that is by um, 
inviting her on a trip to an art museum, which seems like kind of a weird thing that a teacher probably wouldn't do today. But yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, inviting I, inviting Jess. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, he, she does. She does invite him to an art museum. And I think that's a really interesting scene, too, that, again, that mentorship and that position that she's in, that she's um, kind of expanding his horizons and showing him all these other things that he never would have had the opportunity to see otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because Jess definitely has a crush on her in the book. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it's a it's good for him to be encouraged by this teacher, especially because he doesn't get as much attention as he would like at home to have an adult who really is concerned about him and looks after him. Exactly. It is really, really neat. Um, kind of jumping back to his his home life, we co- become acquainted with all of the members of his family. So like we said, he has, has four sisters and his, and his parents. But we get to know his, the, the second youngest sibling best is a sister Maybell Aarons she's seven in the book and she her relationship with Jess is actually really wonderful it's so I love seeing different sibling relationships in the different kinds of literature that um, different kinds of children's literature that's out that is out there and this is definitely one of the most interesting yeah I think um, Jess definitely has this very like he feels like he needs to be protective of um, his you know little sister and it's very cute the way that you see him wanting to look out for her and eventually I mean we'll talk about of course the secret world of Terabithia but she's the one that he brings in and wants to really share this very sacred place with her and um, make it magical for her it's it's a really neat thing Exactly. But you get to see plenty of tension, too. It's not all hunky-dory between the siblings. And he he definitely gets really frustrated with her. And she has her moments where she's really annoying. So we, we get to see some really real dynamics there between the two. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good word for it. I was just going to say that quote we brought up earlier about... Um, how Catherine was intentional about making her character seem real. They're not supposed to be these idyllic role models. We see that a lot in the sibling relationships, and especially in this one. Um, they fight, but they love each other. That's real. Exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, he spends a lot of time uh, with her, which is really neat. And then we get to see that um, relationship bloom even more at the end of the book. So there are some other, um, in, uh, some other interesting characters throughout the book. Um, Mrs. Myers, who I wanted to bring up just a little bit, another one of Jess's teachers, kind of his main teacher, um, that you you really don't see that much in the book, but she plays a role in the end. So Jess and, and Leslie make fun of Mrs. Myers for all sorts of things, and she's kind of your typical grumpy school teacher. And um, at the very end of the book, she's had this really touching moment that is not overdone. It's very beautiful, actually. It's very it's a very touching moment. Um, after Leslie has has died and Jess is going back to school, and it's a really hard moment to for both him and his teacher, but she reaches out to him, which is really interesting. And he, but he in his, it's I think it's his reaction to her reaching out that is most profound. Yeah, because she pulls him out of the classroom, right, and is talking about how her husband had died. And 
people told her not to cry about it. And people were just saying all of these really unhelpful things in an attempt to make her feel better. And so in a way she knows what a lot of what Jess is going through. Um, and he, as she's trying to comfort him, then feels this desire to comfort her, which is so interesting because before, like you said, she was just this very strict teacher that they would make fun of. Um, but has this really humanizing moment at the end and is able to be there for Jess in a way that he never expected. Exactly, which is really, really neat. And then we have the kind of the parents. So we talked a little bit about Jess's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Aaron's, just kind of your typical, very poor, really trying to scrape by. It's not, I don't want to say not invested in their family because they are trying to an extent, but they're just very worn down. And life has been really hard on them. Yeah, I think with Jess's dad in particular, you just kind of get the sense that he loves his kids, but he just works really hard and that's just exhausting. Yep. And he doesn't have time or energy for anything else. And, mm-hmm. and same with his wife. And But you do get to see some, some interesting moments with how they interact with um, Jess and how they interact with their other kids. And um, especially with the when the tragedy happens, they do to, it does actually kind of open some doors up uh, between Jess and his dad and his, and his um, mom, but more his dad. Right. And I think we see that, especially in the scene where, so it's actually Jess's dad who tells him that Leslie has died. um, And Jess just rejects it and runs away. But you see a lot of their relationship there and you really see, um, Mr. Aaron's heartbreak for his son and, you know, wanting to be there for him. But how, what what do you do for your kid at a time like that? Exactly. And I think one of the, the telling things is that there isn't a lot of dialogue, which kind of ties in a little bit with what Mrs. Myers was saying. Like when everybody tries to give you lots of um, suggestions, a lot of times it's to help themselves feel better and not so much you. And so... I think it's really interesting that Jess's dad just he he doesn't know what to say so he stays quiet and he just tries to kind of be there for his son. So it's very rough because they don't have a strong relationship yet, but one can hope that because of this it would open up a uh, potential for a closer relationship. I think so, especially because, you know, after Mr. Aaron's tells Jess about this Jess runs away and his father just runs after him and picks him up and holds him, which, you know, is exactly what he needs at that point. Um, And I think that does indicate a stronger bond between the two of them. Yeah, I think so. Um, Catherine Patterson had an interesting quote about this where somebody asked her if uh, if she would write any more about Jess. And she said no, that he deserves his privacy. And I thought that was a really uh, important point for her to make we all yeah what what an interesting way to phrase it too yeah he deserves his privacy which i agree with yeah that's really neat we all we all tend to these days want a sequel and a prequel we want to know every minute detail and every thought but that's what makes the book so powerful is you get a snapshot and that's all you need Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I like that. It's This is what happens, and then it's done. <laughs> Life goes on is kind of a theme of the book, too, so it makes sense that the characters would just go on. Yeah. Well, nice segue there. Themes. Let's uh, 
Is there a particular theme that jumped out to you as you were working your way through the book? Definitely, I think one of the things that sticks with me the strongest, well, kind of two themes that are tied together would be friendship and imagination. And I think we see that, of course, most clearly in the secret land of Terabithia that Leslie and Jess invent. And I think, first of all, it's just, there's a lot of beautiful description and just really fun scenes of what is going on in these kids' imagination. And um, like we've talked uh, earlier about Leslie just really bringing Jess out of himself, you see that most clearly when they're going through this secret uh, magical world of Terabithia and Leslie is kind of opening Jess's mind up to really imagining and playing and creating these stories and experiences in ways that he's never really done before. And it's so cool to see him come out of his shell and, and get involved and participate. Right. And the, one of the things I just love about those moments when they're in Terabithia and when they're, they're using their imaginations and pretending, like you said, she's opening him up to all these things that he's never experienced or, or thought of before and expanding just even to the language that she was using every time she has some some manner of speaking that's for whatever ceremony or or moment that they're in in their play and and she has some lovely flowing speech and Jess is like uh yeah I agree <laughs> and it's just it's he's he and he feels bad. He he and he sees kind of this deficiency and, and this difference, and he he is striving to uh, overcome that. But he had never been exposed to these these thoughts before, and um, and these these words and these ideas, and they they're exciting. And he sees the the kind of the beauty of them and how they are fitting for the moment that he is in. Yeah, absolutely. Leslie definitely has this poetic way of talking about Terabithia and about themselves as the royal rulers of the land. Um, and that's something that's very weird for Jess, but makes sense for Leslie because her parents are writers and, you know, she's grown up around that kind of thing. But even down to, like you said, the words that she uses really helps open his eyes and helps him to kind of see the magic of the place. Do you Did you get the feeling that this was kind of a, a tiny bit of a social commentary on on the tvs oh yeah i mean mean, it's definitely it doesn't beat you over the head of it with it but you do see like right that tv is really important to jess and his family um and leslie grows up not watching it so i guess i saw maybe a little bit of a social commentary but more of just uh your imagination is better suited with books i think yeah exactly because i again from one of the interviews or bits I was reading about Catherine Patterson she was talking about she was like um she thinks that technology is important and has its place but within balance which I thought was a a good response so I I don't know I I don't think that it's a social commentary on it but I was just wondering if that was something that that jumped out to you yeah I mean that's definitely a detail that I remember even from the first time I read this book um, and I don't think you're supposed to read it thinking, all right, when I have kids, they're not allowed to watch TV, but <laughs> just to show they should be outside playing or reading books or things that TV is okay. But that's, yeah, it's obvious. Um, it's obvious that that's not necessary. And that Leslie is really happy without it, which I, I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've touched on some of the other themes already, like the, that kind of longing for his affirmation from his parents and, um, 
the, the sibling affection or, or lack thereof that is really crucial to this book, that, that bond of siblings. Actually, there's a really sad moment where Jess is thinking about his his siblings and he's sad because he feels a much stronger bond with Leslie, who's not related to him, than he does with his own blood sisters. And I think that's a really telling moment. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I think that that scene really makes the end so powerful when he brings Maybell in to his imaginary world and, you know, makes her a princess of Terabithia and is trying to do for her what Leslie did for him. I think with his friendship with Leslie, he learned to really how to love someone else. Um, and he kind of has the, finds the courage to do that as well, but also just learns he gets to see what Leslie did, right? When Leslie watches him, watches his imagination come to life and him really get into Terabithia and into the wonder of it all. And then he gets to do that same thing for his little sister. Um, yeah, I think those those two scenes work so nicely together because you really see him develop in that area. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point that that sharing that not burying away that in sadness and sorrow, that beautiful thing that he was given and then figuring out how he was going to grow from that and give it to pass it on to someone else. I think that's a really fantastic point. And it speaks to a little bit of um, one of my favorite themes, something that I, uh, when I read children's books, is kind of something that's in the back of my mind is that one of the, I, I learned this in my favorite class at Hillsdale, the children's literature. One of the purposes of good children's literature is to teach children how to grow up well. What does it mean to grow up well? That I think there's a lot to that, and I would love to kind of unpack that as we go on and and do and read these different books and talk about them. But is there a a moment or a thought that comes to you about this particular book that relates to that? I think there's a lot for sure, but I think something that has kind of just struck me is um, the fact that Jess doesn't abandon Terabithia, and at one of part of what makes Leslie's death so sad is that she's swinging on this rope to go into Terabithia when the rope breaks and she dies. But he still really sees a way to use this magical place that they've created, this world of their imagination, to do some good um, for his sister like we were talking about. So... I think the idea that he he could have just abandoned this and he could have really rejected all the lessons that Leslie taught him, but instead of that, he uses even the very same place that she brought him to um, to do some good for his sister, I think is a, a really grown-up thing to do. Yeah, a, a kind of a growth in strength and uh, and fortitude, strength of will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really good, really beautiful. Um. Well, just one one other thought that I had um, is this, it's not exactly a theme, but this importance of uh, the shared collective memory, kind of that canon of, of children's literature and of literature in general that I was I kind of referenced earlier. This was a quote that, because um, Terabithia might sound familiar to some of our, to some of our readers, that name. Um, and so this is a quote from Catherine Patterson, quote, I thought I'd made up Terabithia. I realized when the book was nearly done that there is an island in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis called Terabinthia. I'm sure I borrowed that unconsciously, but then so would Leslie, who loved Chronicles of Narnia. 
And by the way, Lewis got terebinthia from the biblical terebinth tree. So it wasn't original with him either. I love that. And I do remember reading Voyage of the Dawn Trader after I read Bridge to Terabithia and thinking, wait a second. <laughs> so it cracks me up that Catherine Patterson, one of her justifications is, well, you know, that's what Leslie would have done. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's right. You're right. Yeah, she didn't panic or go, oh, no, I'm going to get dinged for plagiarism. That's not what she was trying to do. It's it's part of that. There are some authors. I was watching an interview that – or. A, yeah, an interview that Brian Jakes had done and uh, another author, another children's book author. And he was talking about how he never reads children's books because he doesn't want to be influenced by them. He just wants to write for children. And uh, I thought that was interesting. So kind of everybody has their own take on this and uh, how they're how they're going to how they craft their own writing style and what they learn from. So, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Well, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to to mention on this book? I don't think so. I think we have talked a lot about the important themes. Um, yeah, and I, I guess something that's kind of striking me more thinking about it again is just I love just thinking about Jess's development and his growing up. I think is really beautiful. Yeah, and I agree with Catherine Patterson. He deserves his privacy. It ends in the best possible way i think so too yeah very good well do you have a music album that you would like to share with us that we should listen to while while reading this book yeah i do so there was there's actually one that came to mind and then i was gonna go with one that's even like more sad but no. it kind of <laughs> so i went with the less sad one <laughs> because there are a lot of beautiful things in this book too it's not all depressing it's in fact it's not depressing but um so the album that I chose is called Zentropy by Frankie Cosmos. And um, the song that I like the most and that sticks out to me the most in this album is called Sad 2, the number two. Um, and it's written, it's very much an autobiographical song by the singer Frankie about her dog, Jojo, who has died. Um, and she says, I just want my dog back. Is that so much to ask. I wish that I could kiss his paws. And the whole album, there's even this really cute picture of her dog on the album cover in this ridiculous green hat. And the whole album is kind of about Jojo. And so I think she, it, it reminds me a lot of um, Jess's relationship with Leslie because especially that line, I just want my dog back. Is that so much to ask? Um, there's a lot of themes of friendship and loss um, and it's very sad, but at the same time, there are a lot of really uplifting moments in the album too. Um, there's a song, I Want to Go Dancing in the Public Eye, that's fun. So I think it's a good representation of this book, a good thing to listen to while you're reading it, because it's about friendship, and it's about having fun, and it's also about loss and kind of trying to figure out how to deal with that. Ah, Bridge to Terabithia in music form. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Oh, wow. So Zentropy, you said? Zentropy? Yeah. Frankie Cosby? Zentropy, yes. So like... Being Zen, but also Entropy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. And the whole album is like 17 minutes. It's really short. So you should listen to it over and over again while you read the book. <laughs> Excellent. Very, very good. Well, the recipe that I have, I was racking my brains because unlike the episode we had last week, there were lots of references of food in that one. Not so much here. Uh <laughs> They had, there were, there were some, but nothing really jumped out to me. So I started thinking about, um, Terabithia and what they would have when they were there. So they had 
if you remember, they had that tin full of crackers and dried fruit. So I thought, ah, shortbread cookies. I was just racking my brains over to what to put in here, but I knew it it couldn't be something fancy. I also knew it needed to be kind of portable, something Leslie and Jess could store in the castle at Terabithia. Also, it can be made with a few ingredients, usually just butter, flour, and powdered sugar. Also, I am a huge fan of almond flavoring. It's a very special place in my heart and in some of my favorite recipes. Um, and it wouldn't definitely wouldn't go amiss here. You can make lemon shortbread. There's lots of different um, flavorings, but just your basic, lovely, really buttery shortbread is something that just melts in the mouth um, if made right. And I think it um, would last nicely when sealed up in a tin and something uh, sweet for them to enjoy. Yeah, that seems like a great choice because it sounds like something kids could make pretty easily and then take with them to the castle and just leave it there and come back for it tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and there's lots of fun, fun recipes um, for for shortbread and you can do patterns and it's really, it's really cool. There's actually really beautiful shortbread molds um, to, you can press it in kind of like a butter mold um, where you press it in and bake it in there when you turn it out, it's got like flowers and it's really cool. So that's awesome. Yeah. But well, I hope our readers will uh will take this book and or not readers, I hope our listeners will <laughs> take this book and, and enjoy it. And also just a a comment. This author, um we've this is the second one so far who's still living that we've talked about. Um Catherine Patterson is eighty six this year. And uh, she's still around. And there's lots of really, there's actually a really lovely compilation of videos of her talking about her work and her um, her life and the things that she loves and just a lot of great resources about her. And you can really get a feel for how she does things. And I was just so struck by her um, manner of speaking in the videos and the things that she talked about and the things that mean a lot to her. So I would encourage our listeners to go check out the the authors of the books that we talk about, too, because I think they have a lot to Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's a reason we had so many quotes from her, because she said a lot of really wonderful things about her writing process, about Bridget Terabithia specifically, and her life. And, yeah, she's just given a lot of interviews and said a lot of really cool things. <laughs> she really she really has. Well, I'm so glad that we, we talked about this book this week, mostly because I spent the the entirety of Sunday crying. This is the third time I've read Bridge to Terabithia. And every single time I have sobbed so hard. Yeah, it's a sad one, but it's so good. Definitely. I remember when I was doing my speech. So I was 14 and 15 at the time. It was when I was in ninth grade doing the speech. And I would, I'd be pretty down for like 10 minutes afterward. Um, but I, I think it was a good experience. But yeah, no, it's a rough one. Yeah, it's it's important. It's I would encourage encourage those the young teens read it. I think probably like thirteen, twelve, thirteen, fourteen is a good age to to read this. I'd have to double check. But I yeah, think I think I was I was a little younger. But yeah, younger. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when I read it. I might have been I might have been eleven. But um, yeah, I think I was in middle school probably. Yeah, I think it's I don't really, remember. I think it's really, really uh, very important to. to oh, absolutely! That. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this, Chandler. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, and thank you to everyone who has listened to our Once Upon a Podcast. 
And thank you to D Yankee for our intro and outro music, Driving Home.